Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Maroos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. While COVID-19 forced people into a digital-only lifestyle, there was still a desire for the humanized experience. Some banks and credit unions were prepared to deliver those personalized digital engagements, while others fell short of expectations at the worst possible time. More than ever, consumers were looking for assurance and comfort regarding their finances and wanted their financial institutions to know them, understand them, and reward them for their past loyalty. They were also highly sensitive to efforts that felt self-serving or inauthentic. To understand how consumer expectations have been completely transformed during the pandemic, we're joined by Beth Johnson, Chief Experience Officer at Citizens Bank. In the episode, we discussed the findings of the bank's inaugural Bank Experience Survey, which looked at the way consumer expectations and business expectations have changed and what financial institutions must do in the short and long term to succeed. So welcome to the show, Beth. It's hard to believe we just ended our fifth month of business not normal with many consumers still in a lockdown mode, many businesses closed, and most financial institutions still playing a game of catch-up with consumer expectations. You know, it's interesting, just as a little backgrounder, you know, you've you've been, I think, a citizen for seven years now, if I'm not mistaken, and you start off in the strategy area and have moved to marketing, and most recently now, are, I have been named the head of the customer experience area at Citizens Bank. Um, I've seen a number of organizations where people have progressed similarly, is that a logical progression or is that something that is simply a dividing of assignments so that you can focus on what's important? Yeah, thanks, Kim. Um, and thanks for having me on the podcast. I think as we thought about the evolution of my role at Citizens and why having a chief experience officer was so critical for the organization, it was exactly for what we're going to talk about today, which is how do we move forward the customer centricity we're going to need to succeed for a rapidly changing banking environment. And the underpinnings of that uh, in the role have the marketing components of that, but a lot of our data and analytics, as well as digital, as well as agile change, in order to propel the culture and the company forward so that we can respond to the changing needs of our customers. Well, you know, we're in the process at the Digital Bank Report of six new research initiatives. And they have to do with everything from digital lending to digital financial marketing to innovation and customer experience. And we have found that as we are looking at our initial findings that more has changed in the area of banking since the pandemic than it changed in any decade in the past. So, you know, in five months, we've, we've moved forward at least a decade. You know, Citizens has also just completed a nationwide research study around changing consumer behaviors and expectations that confirms what we have found. Could you share some of your top-line findings? Sure. The inaugural banking experience survey that we launched over the summer was really to understand how COVID is affecting the way people manage their banking experience and their financial lives and what perceptions have changed and may stick going forward. And interestingly, what we really found is that the pandemic has accelerated a lot of the trends we are on and and brought forward things we were already starting to see in the marketplace by years, but not really ignited shifts in behavior. It was more about 
changing or accelerating those shifts in behavior. So for example, uh, 66% of customers and 73% of commercial clients said that they have changed the way they bank and that they expect these changes to persist long beyond COVID-19. And that was particularly true in the way they use digital experiences and other types of remote interaction with the bank. So, you know, there's not a financial institution in the world that we researched that doesn't say improving the customer experience is the top of their goals. Um, It's like apple pie. Everybody loves it. What is needed to achieve an improved customer experience in a world that now is impacted by COVID-19? So, as as I mentioned before, it's important to note that many of the changes we've seen in a COVID-19 world were already in motion. But in many cases, that's been accelerated, and we've seen rapid adoption of new channels and new way of interaction. So the good thing for citizens is that well before the pandemic, we'd already begin to invest in a digital shift and helping our customers have positive interactions either in person or online or through remote channels. As we've seen COVID-19 begin to force um, our customers away from some of those little, those physical locations or those in-person um, conversations, we've been able to pull that forward and really deliver on some of the initiatives we had begun over the last several years. I think a great example of that, which we had and, and many of our peers had as well, was how we were responsive during the PPP loan program with our applications, how we were able to support our customers with stimulus checks, how we were able to leverage things like chatbots in order to support them better from a service perspective. So we really were able to bring forward many of the things we had been investing in and use that to help our customers during the time of COVID-19. So it's interesting because we were talking about agile work environment that you're focusing on as well. And PPP was one of those things that it dropped literally on your plate on a Friday afternoon out of the government, and you were expected to immediately implement against it. And and I think what we found is that small businesses and consumers were accepting of some ragged starts. They didn't expect perfection, but what they did expect was a human empathy for the position they were in. In other words, they gave as much credibility to your ability to say, we will work this out for you and with you as in addition to, oh, by the way, we'll make this happen digitally. So it's really a combination of both the human side and the digital side, isn't it? Absolutely. And we've gotten very positive reactions from our customers on how we have interacted with them during the COVID-19 time period. And I think it was really on three dimensions. And this was true both on our commercial side as well as our consumer side of the business. One, we tripled down on communication, to your point, which was let's make sure we reached out to every commercial client and had a personal interaction with them while in remote channels to make sure we understood their needs during this time period. We invested heavily in a hub on our digital channels for our consumers and small businesses to be able to get real-time information from us on the things that mattered most and invested to be able to continually update that communication channel. And it's still there and and is used quite uh, frequently by our customers. And then finally, we knew that we needed to go the extra mile to support our customers in our communities. So early on, we took a step back and said, where can citizens really make a difference for our customers in those communities we serve. And we launched a program outside of PPP, also focused on small businesses, 
to be able to support them in this time of need. So we put together a small business grant program where we asked our small business clients to submit how they were getting through the COVID-19 period and how they were positively impacting their communities and actually gave out grants to those small businesses, 134 small business clients, and really saw that that impacted our community in very positive ways, um, in addition to some of our corporate giving programs, but we're able to connect branch colleagues and business bankers with those businesses, understand them, and be a part of the community. And, and so I felt very good about taking that approach to this uncertain time so that we're empathizing to your point. And it's not just about having, you know, one channel or, or investing more in digital, but being real and there for our clients over that time period. You know, that's interesting to say that. That's a great program, that grant program. I, I reached out to a, a, my bank and said, you know, two things I would do very early in the process. It's one, I would have the bank sponsor signs in yards because that was in the everybody was trying to support somebody on their yard signs. I said it's a very inexpensive way to get brand out, but I said even more importantly is to give grants out, as you mentioned, but giving grants out to those small businesses whose business it is to support small businesses. So it may be the the web producer, it may be the digital payment person. And that way you kind of leverage the grants for future investments in the community. It it gives you that exponential effect. You know, in your research that I read, you mentioned humanized consumer or customer experiences. What does that mean from your perspective? Well, I think about banking having evolved dramatically over the past few years and really shifting to digital in a lot of ways. I don't believe that that revolution has replaced the need for human expertise particularly in certain financial uh, conversations that really matter deeply to our customers. And so I think it's important to strike the right balance between having that digital first or even mobile first, what we talk a lot about today, that bank in your pocket mindset, but also be thinking about end-to-end customer journeys. They may start digitally, they may end in person, and it may be that you're providing the right insights to a person to work with that customer at that time of need. But I do believe for some very complex transactions that human advisors, and our survey showed this, are going to continue to be highly relevant in those interactions with our customers. Wasn't this trend kind of starting before COVID where people said, you know what, it can't just be digital. It's not digital by itself. It's actually technology augmenting the human engagement or the other way around, as opposed to simply one channel or the other. And, and that's not easy to, to achieve necessarily. How do you do it as citizens? How do you, how you make it, you know, yes, we, we, we know about chatbots, but how do you take that to the next level and allow consumers to pretty much pick the way they want to engage? I think what you said there is critical at the end, that it is about picking the way they want to engage with us for our customers. And again, that can be a business, it can be it can be a consumer, and ensuring that there are there is a segment, right, that does want to be just digital and is willing to engage with the company through digital channels for financial advice, for buying a home, for investments. That segment is growing, but it's still a relatively small segment, as we mentioned. So what we want to make it easy for our customers to do is begin to start in one channel, finish in another, see Seamlessly be able to go from if I start in the digital channel or my mobile channel to a banker when I need it 
Or if I'm in a branch and I don't have the expertise on site, how do I enable myself through a video channel to be able to, and, and, and we're not there yet, by the way, but testing, how do you think about enabling those conversations with experts as well? So really, again, I think the revolution is as much about end-to-end -end digitization, and to me, that doesn't mean the front end of mobile or online, but it means end-to-end -end digitization of using digital as a way to deepen and shift and augment those conversations with customers. So your, your survey also found that consumers crave personalization. Yeah. And even were surprisingly comfortable with sharing personal information, but they want control over what is shared and how it's used. Is this a form of value transfer where basically they'll allow you as much rope as you need as long as you're providing more value than what they personally believe is the cost of their giving up their personal information? I believe that if you can give customers relevant insight or deep advice, and I'll talk a little bit about how I think about those two things differently, they are willing to share some of their information in order for you to give them that experience in a seamless way. And our survey showed that nearly half of consumers expect that from their company and they're willing and are comfortable with using tools through data to be able to deliver those insights or deep financial advice. And the way I think about the two different is an insight can be something that's a snapshot that's easily delivered in a digital channel around my spending habits, around maybe um, I've been charged twice for the same thing, or just those little things that keep me engaged with the bank, but I get real value from as a customer and they provide a service to me. But also then that deeper financial advice that that data can help me be more relevant with. So can I, as I, I have a daughter that's going away to school this year, so as I think about how I'm gonna finance the college experience, are there insights that the digital tool can offer me, but do I need a conversation with a person on that deeper understanding of, of what it means, how I should be thinking about college, and particularly in a COVID-19 environment where it is quite difficult to understand, will my daughter be going for the full year? What does that mean for tuition payments? How does that make me think about financing that opportunity for her? And so linking, you know, content that can be shared with me in virtual channels with a conversation if I need it with some insights around that because the bank knows that I'm at that crucial moment in my life, I think is absolutely critical as we go forward. And customers are willing to share enough information to be able to have that relevant conversation. You know, in, in some of the research we just completed, we found that virtually all financial institutions want to improve personalization and the use of data and analytics. Unfortunately, 75% of the financial institutions we surveyed consider themselves not adept and less than 10% place the improvement of data analytics as a top priority. How could this be true in your opinion? How can this happen? It's an interesting question. I believe, and I think citizens believe, that data and analytics to drive that insight and those deep end-to-end -end customer journeys that are going to be impactful for our clients is critical. And Fortunately, we've been investing for the last five years really in building some of the infrastructure and some areas of, I think, true leadership on that journey of being able to have analytics fuel our business. 
And one of the things that was important about that was not just creating the insights, but then the tools and the ability to offer those insights through online banking, through some of our sales forces, through our branches in a consistent and unified way. That said, as, as you mentioned, this is an area where customer expectations are moving quickly and where customer needs are changing rapidly. And what we experience, not just in banking, but in other areas, is constantly changing our expectations of what could be and what we can be offering. So when you say that 75% of their firms consider themselves not adept, my belief is that that's because that line is moving. So way I, while I say that we are a leader in some areas, I think we are a follower in others. And as a leader in, in the experience organization and the customer analytics, I am constantly looking for innovative ways to use analytics to further that customer experience in those journeys. And that is forever changing. And so sometimes that may be partnering with someone in the marketplace or a fintech that's looked at new ways and has new insights around those journeys. And sometimes it's continuing to build out internally. But I think you have to consistently think about this as what matters most to our customers? How do I enable that through the analytics capabilities I've built? Deliver against that and then look at the next three or four opportunities that are going to deliver the most impact to those customers and the journeys they have with us, deliver that, and then move to the next three. I think where you get into trouble with that investment, and I wonder if that's why people aren't putting, um, you know, your comment around a less than 10% place in improvement of data and analytics as a top party. I wonder if some uh, companies aren't getting that right. So if you try to make improving data or improving analytics your goal, I think you'll struggle. If you're trying to improve the customer experience for the journey at critical moments for your customers and it, the data and analytics is an enabler to that, that you measure, you understand how you're having impact, you deliver, and then you add the next thing, that that's the flywheel that can make this so powerful over time and allow a bank of citizen side to compete effectively with some of our larger competitors. That's great insight there that the fact that Having as a top priority may may have a hidden reason for why it's so small. But also, I think the other thing you said that's really impactful is that it really doesn't matter what size of organization you are. There are ways to get to the holy grail that may not be built from within, but it may be partnering, maybe collaboration that can allow you to actually move forward with a smaller financial commitment. Because I you know, there's a lot of firms out there that, you know, people use the fact that, oh, my data's in too many silos on this. Well, you know, most of these solution providers now have seen almost everything. And to partner with them or to partner with a fintech, really, if based on what your goals are, is a great way to move the experience forward, I think. So that, that great insight there. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenge in being able to deliver the level of personalization and predictive solutions and advice that consumers receive from big tech firms? The biggest challenge for us is really narrowing down to what matters most, focusing and delivering it. As you said, if you try to compete with big tech or you try to compete with Chase, one of the big banks on this, I think you can get into trouble because you're trying to deliver everything to those customers. And so we are laser focused on using customer research to identify those areas that matter most and not get spread too thin. It, it was actually interesting. I was talking to a fintech leader on this not too long ago, a little pre-COVID, and they actually had some example of those big 
bigger players that had, because they had so much data, offered so many insights that consumers, frankly, couldn't even consume them. And, and so when you think about it, as a, as a consumer, I don't want so many insights. It's like, you know, did I want to shop in a department store or do I like the fact that Amazon, as you mentioned, gives me a couple of options I can hone in on on what I really am looking for? That, to me, is very valuable. And I think you can get caught up in a trip of trying to deliver so much that it's not consumable. And so for us, it is about figuring out first through that customer experience lens and journey lens what's going to matter and then enabling that to have us be focused in what we're delivering from an analytics and insight perspective. But that's not always easy because we're also looking at what's out there and every product and every business and every person in the company, frankly, right now would love to have more personalization. It's how we talk about it here. More of the personalization insights delivered uh, for their product or their client in this time. And so that ability to focus, I think, is the greatest challenge as you think about launching and continuing to sustain a program like this. Boy, you hit a hot button of mine. It's, it's funny because I, when I'm writing articles, a lot of times I write the articles and then I have to think about what the headline is that kind of illustrates what I was trying to get across. But there's sometimes when I have a headline, and I'm dying for the the underlying facts that can help build on that. And your whole concept of saying we, we have to laser focus on what we can do. And when we're looking at the financial situation that most financial institutions are going to be under for the next probably at least 18 months, if not longer, my concern is, and, and somewhere along the headline, is to not play priority whack-a-mole, that you just keep on trying to hit a priority yeah. and, and don't yeah. give it enough energy and focus to actually achieve what you're doing. And, you know, when we look at data analytics, one of the things we have seen also the challenge is that a lot of organizations have all the information they need on the consumer, but they use it for internal reports and they don't really use it to build so the consumer can feel that they know them, understand them and and look out for them. And you try to figure out how do we apply the data and analytics we have for, as you said, a better customer experience so I'm going I'm to pivot a little bit here, and I'm going to ask you, because I know it's covered in your, in your study, and I know it's something that you're passionate about. How important are branches in the delivery of that strong customer experience? Yeah, well, digital banking, as we've said, is playing an increasingly important role in how we deliver to our customers. I do believe that branches will continue to play an important role in that financial advice, as we talked about. When deep advice is needed, there is a large segment of the population, and by the way, it's every age that still wants to have that in-person interaction. And on the business side, for example, 93% of business leaders surveyed said they want to still at least occasionally have in-person banking services. And 73% of them prefer in-person interactions with experts when they have that need for deep financial advice. So the survey supports that. I think our belief supports it, that it is an integrated experience for our customers that we need to have as we think about going forward. I think it will shift. I think it won't look the same five years from now as it looked five years ago, but that the role of the physical with the virtual will continue to be incredibly important. So is the definition of convenience in banking shifting a little bit and re- being redefined from a spatial consideration, number of miles to maybe how well a digital or mobile tool works? I think it's incredibly interesting when you look at the data around what is attracting, now this is on the retail banking side, on the consumer side, what is attracting consumers to bank? 
I think there is an incredible shift that has happened, as you just suggested. So 10 years ago, it was very easy to correlate account growth and new customer growth with your branch share and your branch density, as you mentioned. We've seen that switch pretty dramatically, where there's now a real balance between three things, frankly, between your brand strength. So how well do people in a market know who you are? What do they think about you? Are you a positive member of that community? With your digital tools, so are you seen as someone who has a good digital and leading experience? And then a third one, equally important, is branch. But it used to be while 80% of that was driven by branch, we've really seen that mix shift. So it's become harder because you frankly have to have that right balance across the three and be able to, as we've talked about many times, have that seamless interaction with your customers and leverage a real flywheel between those three different levers. So has the world of Zoom engagement possibly change the way consumers and small businesses may want to interact with their financial institutions in the future? In other words, because it it does give the ability, uh, certainly on the small business side, to bring more people to the table without having anybody leave their desk. But more importantly is that, you know, depends on how long we get into this situation. But maybe you don't care if your branch is five miles away instead of one mile away or, or 10 miles away instead of five miles away if you can Zoom with them. Do you think that could be part of the video engagement, be part of what could be the experience of the future? I do. I have a belief that the usage of Zoom in our daily lives has actually changed the way we think about video and the way that we're going to interact going forward. And we've seen that in the healthcare space where many of us had doctor's appointments through video, whether we'll go all the way back or not, but we certainly expect telehealth to to continue in a major way in the U.S. And that we'll see that in banking. So it will be easier for our customers to interact with their financial institutions through a variety of channels. And one of those will be virtual. I I do think that we're absolutely in a test and learn environment, though, where we're going to have to see how this goes. I don't think anybody has a crystal ball to say how Zoom and video is going to impact banking going forward. But my belief is, and Citizens is certainly testing some ways to think through this, and many of the competitors are as well, that we'll see a shift. Good news for Citizens is on the small business side, we had actually already started to test some remote interaction models with our RMs. You talked about small businesses on how do we serve them in an integrated way, sometimes remote as well as in person in our branches. So we're able to take what we've learned from that as well as what we've learned from Zoom in the in the COVID-19 period and just continue to test and learn and think about how this might impact the banking space going forward. So it's been a while since I've worked in a branch, but I do know that many organizations have challenges with their security walls, certainly in the branch level, where the availability of some of these outside tools is limited. Is that going to take a complete restructuring of how we structure our security walls with, next thing you use Zoom as a generic, which is interesting how that's happened so quickly, but with anything of that nature where branches are going to be given the capability to actually have video calls? Great question. I believe many of the branches in the U.S. had already been building the infrastructure that will be needed to have some of that test and learning around video. And I know we had. We've been looking at Wi-Fi in our branches, for example, using tablets as video tools in the branches, as well as making sure we have the bandwidth and infrastructure in our locations to be able to test and learn and interact with our customers. So I think it's going to be less about that physical infrastructure enabling this and more about just understanding 
how the model's going to work across the different channels in a way that's most supportive for our customers and testing a few things and then seeing what happens with some segments and then testing some more things so that we can get that right mix of digital, virtual, and, and in the branch interaction or the contact center is the other piece of that. So speaking of contact centers, there's a few banks that have already announced that going forward, they're going to give their employees the ability to continue to work from home. They have the structure available and the technology available to allow that. I don't know what citizens' position is on the work from home versus not work from home on customer care, but is that maybe an advantage going forward from a, a quality of work and a quality of life basis where certain areas of the bank take customer call centers as one the ability to work from home may actually enhance the customer experience just from the standpoint of the the mindset of the uh, customer call center person? Yes, Citizens has been leveraging work from home quite extensively throughout the COVID-19 period, like you mentioned, key with the contact center. And we do have many of our agents working from home today in the U.S. during this time period, more than we had before. So we've been testing it and, and learning from that prior to COVID. But we are seeing that. We're seeing that that gives us more flexibility. It gives more flexibility from a time perspective. It also allows us, we've talked about our customer analytics capabilities. One of the things we have the ability to do is route customers to certain pools of agents. So the ability to have a customer talk to someone who's been trained in the kind of situation they may find themselves. We talked about student before. So can I talk to someone if I call in who's already trained in that? Work from home and the ability to do that smart routing enables us to have even more flexibility there. So we'll continue to use that as one of the tools in our toolkits as we think about fulfilling those journeys for our customers. So in staying on the call center, the customer care side of it, what role do you think virtual assistants will play in the support of a lifelong customer journey? Interestingly, the uh, survey found that the use of virtual assistants is going to continue to be an increasingly important in managing finances for our customers. And um, for business leaders, they 60% of them expected the banks to use virtual assistants to help them in the future. So I think there's increasing comfort with virtual assistants playing a key role in making banking more convenient, more secure, adding new channels, and that virtual assistants will be a part of that. I think your research at Citizens predated some of the social issues that we've been consumed with uh, quite a bit lately. Do you believe that positioning a financial institution from the perspective of social issues, maybe on the broader spectrum of sustainability, gender and race equality, and community engagement will play a more important role in how consumers decide who they want to bank with in the future? The survey was actually in the field between June 2nd and June 17th, so it was an interesting time because it was right around the time we saw all of the unrest and the, the beginning of an increased debate around social issues. And I think that the positioning that a financial institution takes on those issues is critical, frankly, Talking about the spectrum of sustainability, of gender, of race, equality, and community engagement is going to be playing an increasing role on how customers determine who they're going to bank with in the future and what share of their wallet they're going to give those banks. As citizens, we announced in June a $10 million commitment to promote social equity 
and drive economic enhancement of those underserved communities. Interestingly enough, we learned from, I talked to you a little bit earlier about the small business grant program we did during COVID-19. We've actually now leveraged that as well to award 100 grants to minority-owned businesses. So we're providing direct relief to some of those businesses and putting our money where our mouth is. We're also doing more than $500 million in incremental financing and capital for those small business and housing and other development in those predominantly minority communities. So I think banks have an important role to play in our communities. I think that this is an important time for banks, and I do think we have to be leaders on these issues. You know, it's interesting because, as you said, the way we define a customer experience is broadened to take on how empathetic are you, how involved in social issues are you, how transparent are you on fees and everything else that has to go on. So as you look at your research, what is the most surprising finding that you had in your research? For me, it goes back to the conversation that we were just having on analytics and data and the underpinnings of that. What was interesting, as we mentioned, many of our customers in the survey were quite comfortable with us using data to provide insights and advice to them. However, I expected going in that the younger generations would be the most willing to have us use their data to offer that advice, and then that would go down with age. And that's not what was shown in the survey. So actually what we saw is that the 18 to 24 age was the low point at around 42%. That actually goes up in spikes in that bottom Gen X, top of millennial, um, 35 to 45, where you get to 65%, hovers around there until you get to 55, but only, and, and really stays in that sort of 60% range all the way through. And so what was interesting to me is you didn't see that um, increase with age, the younger being the most comfortable. And as I started to noodle on this and, and do some, I will say qualitative, not quantitative research with folks I know in that age group, what I think has happened is that group doesn't realize the potential yet. They haven't had enough experience with getting insight from a financial institution to really understand the benefits that data may give versus some of our customers that are older are really seeing that quality insight is helping them in their in their daily lives and in their financial lives. You know, that may be a good example of the whole COVID crisis heightening the awareness of what is possible. So finally, Beth, and uh, as the last question, if you look at financial institutions in general and, and maybe in context of citizens also, what should organizations put on the top of their priorities list? What are the the top three items that you say, you know, if you're going to do anything right, here's the top three things that I would say to do for the next, I'm going to call it 18 months from here through the end of 2021. Yeah, I would put three things at the top of the list. The first, and we all know it, while we say we're still multi-channel, we have got to continue digitizing. We've got to invest in those end-to-end client experiences fueled by a digital-first mindset. So that's both our digital assets like mobile and online, but really that full end-to-end experience. So it might be tools in the branch. It might be streamlining operations to become more efficient. You talked about some of the pressures we'll face there, but that's got to be job one. I think job two is continuing the smart use of data, as we've talked about. So how do we guide customer engagement and use what we have to be increasingly relevant, whether that's through smart insights and digital channels or whether that's through deeper paths of advice for our financial lives, for our customers. That's going to be critical. And to do that in a focused and prioritized way. And then three, I'll actually change this one up a little bit. But I think the other thing that that is really 
really important right now for all of the banks is to remember to show appreciation for our colleagues. So during this time, everybody is working hard. It's a time of uncertainty for all of us as we think about our personal lives as well as our banking lives. And I think as citizens and many of our peers, we've seen people go above and beyond. So how could do we think about what our colleagues have done both on the front line but across the bank to serve our customers well during this time so we could leapfrog and advance with our customers and reach out to them? You know, our customers didn't have your experience of not getting getting a contact during this time period. And that's really due to our colleagues across the bank. And so it's just showing the appreciation for the hard work of them as, uh, as this time period continues and as we reopen. Those are three great, great priorities. And, and I love your last one. And I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks for taking the time. It was great to catch up. Thanks, Jim. You know, what a great conversation with Beth Johnson from Citizens Bank. You know, what was interesting was in the research they did and in her interpretation of the research, how important the customer experience is, which can't be up for debate, but how important data, analytics, and qualitative items are in developing a strong customer experience. Another thing to remember is Citizens Bank is not a top seven bank. They're not the biggest bank in the country and, and even not in the region. I think it's important to see that they're finding ways to do what the bigger banks and the big techs are doing as a smaller organization. There's ways to partner, there's ways to collaborate to move that customer experience and customer engagement value forward. And I think it serves all of us well to think about how we're going to do that in a COVID and post-COVID world because we aren't going to be able to go back and recreate the past. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform. Great as a top five podcast on Apple. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to Banking Transform on your favorite podcast app. In addition, please take less than a minute to provide a review. It lets us know how we're doing. Finally, be sure to catch my articles on the financial brand and look for our new research on financial marketing, innovation, customer experience, and the future work as part of the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A big thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and our auto engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, make every day a learning experience. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.